This morning we're going to be taking a look at another person that Jesus said, follow me too. Um, Here's the thing, we constantly evaluate our lives and ourselves based on people who we know, don't we? I mean, we constantly evaluate our skills, our talents, our looks. It's just the way our society is. Um, There's just this need for comparison that we feel like. I mean, TV ratings, TV shows do it. We do it all the time, even to our our best friends, maybe even our family. Um, And so today, we want to take a look at what Jesus says about comparison. And um, not many of you know this, but I actually grew up ever since I was in sixth grade in this church. And so, you know, grew up here, used to torment all the uh, Royal Ranger leaders, and I was in the choir and musician, and now uh, I get to serve in this awesome church called The Bridge as the creative arts and worship director. And um, one of the things that I used to love about uh, being a kid and being in Royal Rangers was going on campouts. Um, something about the outdoors, you know, uh, burning stuff, setting stuff on fire, chopping trees down. Y'all know what I'm talking about, all you guys. And um, so I'd been to a lot of campouts before, but I was approached as about, uh, I think almost in seventh grade, uh, by one of our commanders, a couple of our commanders, and said, look, we've got this awesome opportunity that we feel like that you and a couple of guys here would benefit from. And it was called JLTC, which stood for Junior Leadership Training Camp. Now, apparently they saw something in us that we didn't see in ourselves. So they sent a couple of us there to help us become you know, better men, better outdoorsmen, better leaders in Royal Rangers. And so, you know, the typical campouts, you know, would be fishing, um, you know, hanging out with the guys, and uh, a lot of cool things would take place. Well, I wasn't sure what this one was going to entail because I'd been on campouts before. Um, We used to go down to Camp Tuscarora, and uh, as a Royal Ranger outpost, uh, got a chance to do a couple of things. One of the things that rings through my mind more than anything is the swimming. We used to go swimming. Uh, as, a, as an outpost, and then all the Royal Ranger outposts from all over North Carolina would go. And they made us swim in our jeans. Have y'all ever tried swimming in your jeans on purpose? I mean, I can understand if you fall in a pool or something like that. But So this was the idea, you know, that uh, y'all can swim, but this is church camp. Y'all going to have to swim in your jeans, you know, because, I mean, it, was, it wasn't even co-ed. It was all boys, right? So nothing, I guess, they were afraid we were going to see other guys' white legs, you know, or something. So we swam in jeans, and then they were like, you know what, we'll make you walk around uh, afterwards after you swam in jeans for a while, because nothing goes together better than wet jeans, right, and walking, right? Y'all see where I'm going here, right? So a couple of our guys that were in our group... um, there was a little more friction needed between the jeans and walking. It's maybe a little bit too much walking, if you know what I'm saying. And uh, baby powder became a hot commodity in our outposts, okay? Constantly, we saw these guys, you know, dumping baby powder. Because, you know, when, you, when you're going on a walk and you see guys walking like this, <laughs> jeans and swimming is just not a good idea. So that was one of the things that, you know, rings out about the past campouts. Also... Um, we used to love cutting down stuff. I mean, we, you could not cut down enough stuff. Give me a hatchet. Let me. And then they'd want to take your cut and chop card away. Those of you who know in your Royal Rangers, you know what the cut and chop card is. You have to have that in order to be able to have a knife or a hatchet and that sort of thing. 
So anyway, um, needless to say, a couple of uh, my friends, my buddies, were on the injured reserve list for um, a couple of days of our JLTC camp because they couldn't walk because they were hurting so bad. Well, so that's what I had in my mind. Well, we show up and they take us to what's called a model campsite. I don't know if you've ever been, you know, camping or anything like that, but they have a model campsite that they have already set up for us in order for us to compare our campsite to, okay? So they had the tent set up, they had the fire pit set up, they had a latrine set up, you know, where you use the restroom and that sort of thing. And they had everything laid out and they said, all right, boys, when you go into the woods and they designated the areas inside the woods of where we would be, we want you to compare, we want you to contrast, we want you to use this model that we have, this model campsite to build your own. They said, now make sure that your tents are far enough away from the fire, right? Because fire and fabric don't always go together. So we're like, all right, got it. When can we go cut some stuff, you know? Uh, boys, no, here's what you want. We want to make sure your latrine, which, you know, your toilet, is far enough away from your kitchen area because you don't want, you know, the sanitation and all that stuff kind of transferring over. We're like, all right, got it. When can we go, chuck, you know, cut some trees down? So, you know, they went through the whole thing. They gave us instructions. We threw the instructions out the window. We're boys. We're seventh graders. We know better. We know how to do this, right? Just let us go in the woods. So they send us on back, and they give us, you know, a couple of hours to get our campsite up. And, you know, we're boys. We're back there. We're getting our knives out. We're, you know, taking our stuff out, showing what candy we brought, just getting into it. Where, do we sh- where should we set up the tents? I don't know. Probably beside the fire. We don't want to get cold at night. You know, that's a good idea. Let's put it right there. And so we got, you know, we're all setting our, our tents up and getting those set up. And then they're like, where should we put the latrine? Because you designate someone to go make that. Ah, put that one by the fire too. Because you, if you've got to go to the restroom at night, in the middle of the night, you don't want to be cold. Right? So that's what we did. So they walked through and they're like, no, no, that's all wrong. You didn't follow the instructions. We gave you the model, right? You, I mean, look, clearly your campsite and ours look nothing alike. Well, they gave us these bag of MREs, you know, the food that lasts until Jesus comes back. <clears throat> Tastes the same the, the day that you purchase it as it does 100 years from now. Same consistency. Just add water, right? I mean, who thought you can add water and have cheesecake? You can add water and have beef strong enough. You can have water. I mean, any, I don't know. It's miracle stuff, apparently. Well, we didn't like it. So the first thing we did was dug a hole and buried all of ours and covered it up. I don't know what happened to the MREs. Uh, do we got any cheeseburgers or anything? You know. And so that's why our, our campouts, you know, we, we mess around. But, um, so that was the model. And, and, and we, didn't, we did not follow the model. We did not compare what we did to what they had given us. And so when you evaluate our campsite, we didn't even probably get an honorable mention, right? We, we were just like showing off, trying to be funny. But, this, but that's so true for us. We compare our stuff to other people's stuff around us. There are people in our lives, we compare their talents to our talents, their abilities to our abilities, their money to our money, their spouse to our spouse, their smarts, their intelligence to how smart we are. It's just natural for us as individuals, as humans, to compare ourselves and gauge ourselves based on others around us. And, and to us, they're perfect. I mean, we know they're not, but, but our situation and what we have, they just have the perfect setup, right? Ladies? 
I mean, you know, you probably have friends of yours or know people that just have like the perfect figure. You're just like, oh, they have the best figure. They could eat one of those five pound Hershey bars. You know, the ones, the big ones you buy. They could eat that in one sitting and not even gain a pound. I walk through the kitchen and smell sugar and gain two inches. I mean, that's just, you know, how you feel. You know, you're like, they got married at 20 years old and here I am, I'm 35 and there's not a husband or a wife in sight. You know, they've been trying, I've been trying to get pregnant for such a long time and these people, they don't even try to have babies. Like, you know, it's in us to compare ourselves to others. She has just the perfect skin, the perfect complexion, the perfect hair and me, I'm just average. I mean, probably you'd even say below average. Moms, you compare yourself to other moms, you know? The woman, she's, she's a homeschool teacher. She's a gourmet chef. She cuts the grass. She does a Pinterest pod project a day. <laughs> if Martha Stewart were to pass on, she could take her place. I mean, she is like the perfect mom. Right, guys, same thing. He's like the perfect dad. He can fix anything like MacGyver, toothpaste, a bubble gum, and a paper clip, and he can get that car running, you know, perfect landscape, and you name it, he can do it. I mean, we compare ourselves to other people. As pastors, we do it, right? We look at other pastors. Oh, they're just so good. They're congregations. They all serve. We know that's not true. They all tithe. I bet they don't have any problems. I bet the deacon board says yes to everything that that pastor proposes. But we know that's not true, right? Social media, we look at people like they get more likes, more comments than we, they do on their status. Think about people that go to high school reunions, right? 10 years, 15, 20-year reunions. They're like hadn't worked out in a year, 10 Actually, probably hadn't worked out since high school. All right, they work out the day before because that's going to make a difference. They go tanning. They rent a limo to show up in like there's somebody flying in on a helicopter. Because, you know, they want people to be looked at. When we compare our lives to others, we want to look good. That's just our human nature. Then there's something else that happens. That's opposite of that. That's even more so, I think, unhealthy. When we realize we're not going to be someone else, when we compare our lives to other people, and we realize we'll never meet that criteria, then here's what we do. We begin to look and find people that we're better than, right? Y'all know what I'm talking about. We find those people, I'm not as good as them, but I'm better than that guy. I'm better than them. We got it better than they do. So we compare ourselves to make us feel fulfilled. I remember that as a, a kid growing up playing in golf tournaments. Have a bad round, terrible. I told y'all the story last week. I got beat by 30, but psh, I beat those two guys. You know, they're worse than I was. And so I would compare myself to make it feel bad. I had a friend growing up. Like his parents were very, very wealthy. They had boats, houses at the beach, nice cars. I mean, just everything. And I would, he's got a 25-foot, you know, boat, fountain, Grady White, you name it. I, I've got two John boats, so what, you know? I'd compare my house. He got a big house. Well, I'm going to have a big house one day. And it just made me feel better. And so we would compare ourselves to other people to justify our actions and situations. So here's the question this morning I want you to ask yourself. Who do you compare yourself to? Out of all the people in your life, all the people you come in contact with, who do you compare yourself to? And you might not think of anybody right now. It may be a dozen people. The question is, 
Who do you compare yourself to? Because here's the thing. Someone is the model, okay? Like the campsite. Someone is the model that you gauge your actions, your abilities, your talent, your stuff on. The question is who? Now, what I find true is this. We do this in business. We do this in the physical, like our physical selves. We do it in materialistic stuff. But this is not so true for our spiritual lives, right? I mean, think about it. When was the last time you were like, oh, That person is just so knowledgeable about Scripture. They know all kinds of stuff. Every word they speak is so eloquent, and they can recite passages and just have this insight. And, oh, they're such a good prayer. I bet they fall asleep at night listening to preaching, which if you're the preacher, I guess, is not a good compliment for you, though, right? And so you look at that, and and, and so, you know, we make jokes about that, but it's so true. Like, when was the last time we, we evaluate ourselves, our spiritual lives, based on the lives of others? So this morning, I want you to go ahead and turn with me to John chapter 21. As we take a look at some comparison, even among the closest to Jesus. And we'll start at verse 18. And so this is a story this morning. This is a passage about great comparison. And as you're turning there, I just want to kind of set up what's happened, what's taking place here, the background of the story. So Jesus has been crucified, he's been buried, he's been resurrected, right? The, the two Marys go to the tomb and the angel tells them that he's not here, he's risen, and says, go and tell the disciples that they need to go to Galilee because Jesus wants to meet them there. And so they go there, this is after Peter's denial where he denied Christ three times. And so the disciples really, Peter went, and then the others go, well, we're going to go too. They go back to Galilee and want to go fishing. And remember, this is where their old lives were, right? This is, um, you know, their old lives, what they used to be before they encountered and came in contact with Jesus. And so they, they did, they made a living fishing. They knew how to fish. And so Jesus is here. This is the third time they've encountered him. He's on the shore And he's made a fire, and he already has food. He already has fish, and he has bread prepared. And the disciples are in the water, and they're not catching anything. And you might remember this passage. He says, cast your net to the other side of the boat. Now, just kind of put it in perspective. It's easy for us to read that and not think much about it. But have you ever done something your whole life, right? And then somebody tries to tell you how to do your job. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Like, you are a fisherman by trade. Like, that's what you do. That's like me going up to Hank Parker, Bill Dance, Rowan Martin, all these guys who are fishermen and going, look, look, look. Let me tell you. Here, let me show you where you need to catch the fish. Let me show her what lure you know how to use. Right? And so maybe when they first heard that, they're like, who do they think this guy is? It doesn't say that. But I can just imagine that for us, here we have our whole life and skill set built in, and then somebody's telling us, look, you need to cast your net on the Like, we fished all night. You ever been to the pier at the beach, and everybody fishes on one side of the pier? Have y'all noticed that? The fish only come from one direction the whole time. And, and it's true, I've tried it. I'm like, I'm not going to cast where all these other people are. I'm going on the other side of the pier, and you won't catch nothing. It's crazy. The fish are like, I ain't going on that side today. Y'all can go if y'all want, but we ain't going on that side. And so they tell Jesus, they don't realize it's Jesus at the time, and he says, cast your net to the other side. And so they do, 
And the net was so full, they couldn't even hardly get it up. Now something happened at that moment. When, the, when they hooked, and I believe it was 153 fish, it was just so big. that the, And then it's, the Bible clearly says that the net didn't rip, but they had a hard time getting up. At that moment, Peter, who is going to be our focus this morning, knew that that was Jesus there. He knew that it was Jesus. Something else that I hope you see today and maybe through further investigations that I didn't even fully realize until really digging down into this passage and other passages of Scripture is there is a rivalry. There's a little bit of comparison between Peter and John, right? These two are in Jesus' closest circle. Like Jesus had 12, then he had a, a couple others that were even closer to him. And Peter and John were those two, and there's a rivalry among those two. And so Peter identifies that that's Jesus that said those words. And you know what he does? He jumps out of the boat, right? Here we are again. Remember, he jumped out of the boat. Peter jumps out of the boat because he's like, that's Jesus. That's Jesus. And he's like, I'm going to be the first one to come in contact with Jesus. I'm leaving the other three that are there fishing. I'm leaving them. Y'all can get the fish. Good luck getting the net up. Jesus is on the shore. I'm out. And he jumps out and begins to swim. Now, if we look back at John chapter 20, which is so interesting, go back and read it. John chapter 20, those of you note takers. And read verse 3. It actually says, so Peter and the other disciples, they started running to the tomb knowing that Jesus had been risen. They got word. They run to the tomb, and look what it records in verse 4. Both were running, Peter and John, but the other disciple outran Peter. Right? Have you ever read that? I mean, have you ever realized that, I mean, they're running, and he records that John is clearly a faster runner than Peter. Peter's like, you know what? I'm beating John this time at the boat. I'm going to be the first one to encounter. And he dives, and, and he leaves all the other men on the boat to get the fish, get the net, get the, and he goes to shore to meet with Jesus. I mean, and Jesus is there. He's got fish ready. Nothing like fish for breakfast, right? That'll wake you up. Better than coffee. And so Jesus and Peter have this con contact, right? And Peter and Jesus walk away from the fire and they begin to engage in this dialogue. Now maybe you've read the passage of scripture where Jesus asked Peter, do you love me more than these? And he said, Lord, you know all things you know I do. He says, feed my sheep. And he asked them three times. And when you do a word study of that, which is awesome, he actually asked him about different types of love. And so that takes place right before this passage of Scripture. But here's what I want you to know before we read. Peter and Jesus are away from the fire. They're away from the other disciples. They have this moment to themselves. And this is where the dialogue ensues. Verse 18. Jesus says, after coming in contact with him, after telling him that, he says, Very truly I tell you, Peter, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you don't want to go. Now, we can read that and go, what, what does that mean? What he's saying is, Peter, guess what? You're going to be crucified just like I was. Now, Peter saw this. Remember, he, he saw it all take place. He said, Peter, when you were younger, you got to go where you wanted to. But here's what's going to happen. When you're older... They're going to dress you up like they did Jesus. They're going to put that robe on them. Like you call yourself a king. They're going to dress you up, and they're going to lead you where you don't want to go. And he says, and then they're going to stretch your hands out like they did me, and they're going to crucify you. And so Peter gets a foretelling of his future. 
Jesus is up front at this moment, <laughs> transparent more than probably he's ever been, and he says, you're going to die like me. And Jesus is up front with us. Jesus tells us, look, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I overcome the world. He never said, oh, it's going to be easy. It's going to be great. Don't worry, you're going to manage. He says, you will have trouble. Not just as a Christian, because that's what we like to do a lot of times. Just because we feel like we know Christ, that we you know, shouldn't be entitled to that suffering. But especially as a Christian, it's not going to be perfect. And so Jesus, Jesus reveals Peter's future to him. I mean, Peter's best friend died. Remember, Jesus died. And then after that, he denies him three times. I mean, really, can things get any worse for Peter? Well, they do right here. What news to hear, Jesus? I'm going to be crucified. And then John explains this to us in verse 19. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death which Peter would glorify God. He doesn't say the death that he was going to have, this is how he's going to die. He says, this is the kind of death that he will glorify God by. Now, right after he says, Gee, uh, Peter, you're going to die, you're going to be crucified, they're going to lead you where you don't want to go, you're going to have to do all these things, follow me. <laughs> follow me. The same words that we saw last week to Matthew, he says to Peter again as a reminder to follow me. In other words, Peter, listen, this death, what you're going to go through, what you're going to have to suffer, that doesn't matter. That doesn't change anything. That doesn't change what I've called you to do. You still follow me. Peter, I was crucified, buried, and resurrected. When I was here, your job was to follow me. And when I'm gone, guess what? Your job will still be to follow me, no matter what the end looks like. Peter, I know you didn't want it to go down this way. I know you thought I would be here forever. But listen to me, your calling is still the same. You follow me. Now, while this conversation is going on, when Peter and Jesus are away from the others, and they're standing down the beach, John begins to make his approach towards the conversation. Now, maybe he just wanted to talk to Jesus. Maybe he wanted to see what was going on. Um, but nonetheless, John has left, and he's approaching them. Now, I can just imagine and picture Peter sitting there, and just that, that feeling overcoming him like, this is real, right? I mean, he was right about the denial three times. He, he told me I would curse his name. And I said, I would never do this. Lord, I will go with you wherever you call me to go. And he's sitting there knowing that this is what's going to happen to him. And Peter does what many of us do. When we get news, when something doesn't go our way when we see other people being blessed, other people have what we want, when we have a revelation to us that things are going to be bad, what do we do? We look around. We look around to find someone or something to compare ourselves to. And so he knows his fate and situation. And now Peter wants to gauge what he's just been told to someone else. He wants to find someone or something to make him feel better about himself. And so he looks and he sees John. Verse 20, Peter turned and saw that the disciple, and here it is again, whom Jesus loved, right? And that's all throughout the Gospels. 
that Jesus loved John, the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who is going to betray you? So in other words, not only is the one who's loved, he's the one sitting right beside Jesus. He's the one going, Jesus, really? Who, who's it going to be? Like, tell me. He's the one, if you remember, Jesus said, look, I'm going to be flogged. I'm going to be beaten. I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to die. And then, and then right after he tells them that, they go, hey, Jesus, when you go to heaven and you're sitting in glory, can I be your right hand man? Like, you just missed what I told you. I know I get that. But look, can we sit on your right and your left? He was the close one to Jesus. When Peter saw this man, John, he says to him, Lord, what about him? How many times have we done that, right? We look at other people. What, what about them? They're not, even, they, they're not a Christian. They don't even try to live a good life. How come they get to be the one blessed? How come they get what I want? Lord, what about them? And so John, viewed as the favorite, the one that sits beside the cloak, probably one of the closest three to Jesus, the one that Peter had rivalry with, Peter sees John walking down the beach and he says, Lord, what about him? And Peter takes his eye off of Jesus, right? And he focuses his attention on someone else. And he says this without actually saying it. Jesus, what about him? Is his life going to be hard like mine? What about him, Jesus? Is he going to have to die like me? What about him? Is he going to have to suffer, Jesus? Jesus, will he have it better than I will? Jesus, will he get to stay in Jerusalem? Is his death, is he just going to die in his sleep? Like, what about him, Jesus? And this is another one of those moments where Peter is confronted with truth. And, and totally messes it up. Here we see Peter comparing himself to John, comparing his situation to John. He wanted to know, was John getting a better deal? Is he getting an easier death, God? Is he going to get an easier death than I am? And so Peter was comparing himself to John. The question in, in our lives is, who do we compare ourselves to? Who do we compare ourselves to, our situation to? What about him? What about her? What about them, Jesus? What's going to happen to them? Are they going to have it better than me? Why do they have it better than me? I remember as a high school teacher for a couple of years, and some of you have taught high school, maybe you've substituted middle school, elementary school, or maybe you've just taught a class in some capacity. Anytime someone was talking and you called them down, what did they always do, right? You go, Jerry, quit talking. I wasn't the only one talking, right? They try to divert the attention off of them and focus it on someone else. Like, hey, sit down. Will you let them go to the bathroom a second ago? Why can't they sit down? And that's just our human nature. Our natural response is to go, well, what about them? What about them? And so here we see Jesus give a response to Peter, which is so awesome. And it actually, I believe, catches him a little off guard, and, and me too when you read it. And he says in verse 22, right after he asked him, what about him? Jesus says, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? What's that to you, Peter? What does it matter what happens to him? You follow me it doesn't matter if they get the blessing that you want you 
follow me. It doesn't matter if they get the prayer that you've been praying, Peter, you follow me. What John does or doesn't do should not be a concern to you, Peter. Stop comparing yourself to John. Your calling is still the same. If his situation is better than yours, does that matter? John's going to have his own work and his challenges that you can read later out through the New Testament. You follow me. See, regardless of what happens to you, what you feel, what other people get, Jesus is going to measure what you do based on the example that he's given you. He's going to measure what you do based on how well you followed his son, Jesus Christ. Maybe in your prayers you've just you've been praying, you've been constantly asking questions. You've been praying about job situations and behavioral for your kids. I, I mean, I don't know what that entails. And you just see people around you and you're like, why hasn't God answered my prayer? And you may be frustrated. You may have become bitter. You may have become angry. And you see other people that are being blessed. This morning, God says, it doesn't matter. You follow me. Here's the point. Jesus isn't going to compare what you did to what someone else did. He's going to compare what you did to what he called you to do. He's going to say, what did I call you to do and what did you do? That's what I want to compare. Not what you did to what your neighbor did or your best friend did, but what I called you to do. That's going to be my gauge and my comparison. Because see, here's the thing. Like We have this skewed perspective. And there's been country songs written about it. There's a cliche saying the grass is always greener on the other side, right? We always think that that's a, that's a comparison analogy. It's always greener on the other side. We compare what we have to what they have. And it's of one of two things, right? The grass is greener, A, because they water it. Or B, because their yard is under a septic field, right? <laughs> the grass isn't always greener on the side. But here's the struggle. The struggle is when we compare ourselves using the worldly standards instead of the spiritual standards and the godly standards that God has given us. And Jesus is saying to us today, what is that to you? Why does that matter? Here's what you need to know with everything inside of you, every breath, every prayer, every action, every step you take, you follow me. And that's such a struggle for our teenagers, right? Because they see the kids that get to go out and have fun. They see the kids whose parents don't care. They get to go party and they get to do all these things. And they're like, it's not fair. Jesus says, with every ounce that you have, you pursue me and follow me. What is it to you what they do? I've given you the perfect model, the perfect model for your actions, the perfect model for love. I've given you the perfect model for sin. I've given you the perfect model for service. You follow me. That's so hard, though, because I want to evaluate my talents, my abilities on someone else's. Parents, it's hard for you. you. You compare yourself to other parents, right? You compare yourself to other parents and how good their, their children are. You compare your kids, and maybe you, like, you wish that your daughter or your son was more athletic or smarter or whatever, 
And so that kind of rings in. Kids, I'll just kind of speak to you for a second. Teenagers, you compare your parents to your friend's parents. Like, it's not fair. Why, I, why do I have to have 11 o'clock curfew? Their parents would let them travel across the country on a bicycle and they wouldn't even have to call. Like, why does that? It's not fair. And kids, you compare your parents to other parents because it's just natural for us to do that. I love this story Max Licato wrote. He says, somebody wrote this in. He says, I'm not perfect, Max, but I'm better than most folks. And, and see, again, there we are. We're gauging ourselves. Oh, we're, we're better than most, right? God's not going to compare you better than most, right? He's going to compare you to his son. He says, I'm better than most. I've led a good life. I don't break the rules. I don't break hearts. I help people. I like people. Compared to others, I think I could say I'm a righteous person. Maybe you feel that. I'm not as bad as they are. I'm, I'm a pretty good person. I do good things for others. He says, I used to try that on my mother, and she'd tell me that my room wasn't clean. I'd go, well, just come with me down to my brother's room. His was always messier than mine. See, my room is clean compared to his, Mom. Never worked, he said. She just walked me down the hall to her room. When it came to tidy rooms, my mom was righteous. Her closet was just right. Her bed was just right. Her bathroom was just right. Compared to hers, well, my room was just wrong. She would show me her room and say, this is what I mean by clean. And God does the same thing. He points to himself, his son, Jesus Christ. And he says, this is what I mean by righteous. This is what I mean by good. This is what I mean by perfect. You compare yourself to Christ and you follow him. Because here's the thing, on judgment day, God's not going to take that person you compare yourself to and line them up against and beside you. He's not going to compare what you did to what they did. He's going to compare what you did to what his son Jesus did. He's not going to compare Peter's life to John. He's not going to go, how many people did you come ahead of? So I think about my, uh, you know, when you're in high school, they give you your ranking. <laughs> That's a big deflator to my ego, right? I'll let you know, like, how many people, you, out of all 324, Jared, you're 298. Awesome. He's not going to say how many people you made it ahead of. He's going to say, let's see how you compare to my son, Jesus. He's going to compare his perfect son, Christ, and measure what you did against him. I want to close with this story. Um, I love watching the Olympics. Summer, winter, doesn't really matter. It's always a, a fun time. My wife loves uh, that as well. One of the things she loves is watching the gymnastics. And so, you know, it's, it's a pretty cool thing to watch um, all the different things that, I mean, I can't even hang on the rings, right? You know, and they're holding themselves out sideways. You watch the guys and then they do the pommel horse and just so strong. And, um, and, and so we love watching the Olympics. Well, there was a, a lady who became very, very famous in 1976 in the Olympic Games. Her name was Nadia Comaneci, and maybe you re remember, at 14 years old, 
she was uh, the first person to achieve a perfect 10 in, um, in gymnastics. And then went on, took it a step further, and actually achieved six more perfect 10s. So she had seven perfect 10s in the 1976 Olympic Games. Now, before that day, there had never been a perfect 10 achieved. Matter of fact, on the scoring system that they had, which is not like it is now where it's very digital and instant, you know, after they do their routine, they can look up and, you know, within a few seconds they can see what they made. The, the scoring system didn't even go to a perfect 10. It didn't even have those two digits. It had one digit, dot, digit, digit. And so as they waited, as the crowd was anticipating, they were waiting to see because she had this flawless routine and she's sitting there, it read 1.00. And immediately everybody knew what that stood for and they just erupted and cheered and went crazy because here it was, a perfect score. She became the model. She became what others gauged their routines off of. She became the perfect gymnast. Well, in 1992, the scoring system changed. Instead of having 10 being the perfect score, what they had was a start value. You may have seen this. You could look uh, on the Olympic Games. They have like a maximum number of 9.76, 9.8, whatever that looks like. So that was the start value. That was not uh, you couldn't even uh, have a perfect score. And then on top of that, even gymnasts now say to get a perfect score, you actually have to be better than perfect because it's like almost impossible. And so everybody gauged their routines based off of hers. They compared their self to Nadia's routine. When that scoring system changed, right? When the scoring system changed in 1992, it was harder. They compared themselves to their routine and what they could achieve. When God sent his son, Jesus Christ, the scoring system changed. There wasn't any more sinless sacrificial offerings. There was no more going to the high priest. There wasn't all of these things. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, for us to gauge our lives against his son. No more shedding of blood because the blood had been shed through Jesus. And so as Nadia was the model, as our model campsite was given at our camp out, now we see Jesus as our model. And he says this morning, who do you compare yourself to? And what is that to you? You follow me.